This is Trinity Western University's Chapel Podcast, where our daily chapel gatherings are captured and shared for the TWU community. Whatever your day looks like today, we're glad you're tuning in. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So this is the word of the Lord. So Mark begins his gospel talking about the good news. He's saying he's so excited. The good news has shown up. Jesus, the Messiah, the king, the long-expected king of Israel, is here. And John, who is the baptizer, is preparing the way for Jesus. He's been telling people to repent of their sins, to turn away from sin, because the king is coming. And John's baptism was to fall back into the Jordan River as a picture of being cleansed, of being washed by God, washing from sin. It was this picture of being purified, getting people ready to meet the king. And then John the Baptist says this, after me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. What a beautiful phrase. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He, that's Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Trinity students, what on earth does that mean? As we prepare a new year, I hope that today you're going to find that this is our hope, that this is our joy, to be baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. So, who is the Holy Spirit? Well, Uh, A a new word, maybe for you, maybe not, is the word pneumatology. Pneumatology. Say that to your neighbor. Pneumatology. Pneumatology. So, churchy language for the study of the Spirit. So, pneuma in Greek or ruach in Hebrew both mean wind, breath, spirit. Uh, We see that the Holy Spirit in Scripture is also uh, seen as as fire, Use the image of fire, the image of a dove, or the image of a cloud. And so, you know, when we think about doves and fire and cloud and wind and breath, it could lead us to think that the Holy Spirit is just an energy. If you are a North Langleyite, you have heard me say a lot of this before. We, we, We sometimes think of God's Spirit as an energy, like an energy that we tap into for some kind of power. But... As I've said before, that idea is uh, way more Star Wars than it is the Bible, right? The Holy Spirit is not the Force from Star Wars. In in A New Hope, Obi-Wan explains the Force to Luke, saying, The Force is what gives a Jedi his power. It's an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us and penetrates us. It binds the galaxy together. But some of you who are Star Wars fans will know that uh, we got a little bit of a deeper glimpse into what the Force was in The Last Jedi where uh, Luke explains the force to Ray and says this, it's the energy between all things, a tension, a balance that binds the universe together. Now, as cool as the force is in Star Wars, this is not the Christian doctrine of the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's really bad pneumatology. 
The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is a powerful person, one of the three persons of the Trinity. He's not just a powerful energy you can tap into. He moves like the wind, but he is not the wind. He is God. Listen to Jesus refer to the Holy Spirit as he. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he'll tell you what is yet to come. And so the definition I love best comes from a theologian named Gordon Fee who says this. He says, the Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence. The Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence. This is the hope that I want you to catch today, Trinity students, as you begin this new year. So back to Mark 1. Jesus has promised to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is delighted to fill us with God's empowering presence, just like the tabernacle was filled in the Old Testament, just like the temple was filled in the Old Testament. This is the gift of God being in you. In other words, Jesus is delighted to immerse you in the Holy Spirit, to drench you in the Holy Spirit, to pour upon you the Holy Spirit, to seal you with the Spirit, and to fill you with the Spirit. Can I get an amen? Okay, <laughs> so wait, you know, some of us are going, wait, okay, d d don't I have the Spirit in me? What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Like, is there a gauge that I could buy from Home Depot that would let me know how much Spirit I have in me? So let's kind of nerd out for a little second here as we understand a little bit of the Greek language. In the original language that the Bible was written in, in Koine Greek, the Greek word is baptizo, which is to be baptized, and it is a one-time thing. The verb is written in the aorist imperative in Greek, and it's a one-time thing. So we have been baptized or sealed with the Spirit when you initially gave your life to Jesus, when you surrendered your life to Jesus. It's a one-time thing, boom, done, once and for all. Listen to Ephesians 1. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, but the filling of the Spirit is written differently in the Greek. It's the verb plerao, which is to be filled. The language here is ongoing. It's continuous. So Ephesians 5, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to, to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. It is ongoing. It is continuous. So this is not a one-time only thing. This is a keep coming and keep drinking and keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. Like a hobbit. Hobbits enjoy seven meals a day when they can get them. Breakfast, second breakfast, elevenses, luncheon, afternoon, tea, dinner, later in the evening, some supper. Seven meals a day. Ongoing and continuous eating of a hobbit. This is how it is to be filled with the Spirit. Ongoing, continuous drinking in of God's very presence in us. It's beautiful. To help, I think you can think of the image of marriage. So uh, when two people are married, that is a, that they enter into a covenant relationship. And then after that, they begin to grow in their love for one another. Right? So there is this, almost this 
filling of love that they grow into for years to come. And so if you picture Jesus baptizing you in the Spirit, that is the moment you entered into the new covenant. You were baptized in the Spirit. You entered into the new covenant. Picture it like it's a, it's a wedding day, right? That was the moment that you entered into that relationship. And then he promises to keep filling you with the Spirit. This is to grow in love and nearness to him. It's not just simply to say, Jesus, I told you I loved you on the wedding day and never to grow in intimacy any longer. That's not it. That would be a very bad marriage, and it's not the way the Christian life works. This is to grow in deep relationship with Jesus. And I want to give you a little taste of what this looks like. What does it mean when we are baptized and filled, ongoing filling with the Spirit? First, I'm going to go quick through these, but first, he convicts us of sin. When the Spirit comes to dwell in us, he convicts us of sin. He is the only one that can expose the deep, hidden darkness within us that can shine a light into those dark places so that we might experience healing. Second, the Holy Spirit shapes us to look like Jesus, like he's promised to shape us to look like Jesus. And for some of us, that's so daunting. Like, how could we ever live like Jesus? How could we ever begin to be shaped and molded to look like Jesus? Well, William Temple, he's the Archbishop of Canterbury uh, in the 1940s. He wrote this. He says, it's no good giving me a play like Hamlet or King Lear and telling me to write a play like that. Shakespeare could do it. I can't. And it is no good showing me a life like the life of Jesus and telling me to live a life like that. Jesus could do it. I can't. But if the genius of Shakespeare could come and live in me, then I could write plays like this. And if the Spirit could come into me, then I could live a life like his. That is the promise. The Spirit has promised to shape us to look like Jesus. Then, third, the Holy Spirit causes fruit to grow from our life. That fruit would grow from our life. Listen to Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is, hold on, before I read them, do you want some of these things? Okay, listen to this list. Love, joy, peace. Trinity students, as you begin a new semester. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Gentleness, at the word of gentleness, everyone cancel your Twitter account. Gentleness, self-control, right? Like just, do you want this? And the Spirit is like, I'm delighted to, to make this fruit grow from your life. But here's the big one. This is the one I want us to see today. The Holy Spirit reveals to us that we're children of God, children of God. This is what I want us to see today. Listen to Romans 8. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive, catch this, does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Here's the point. In the baptism and filling, the ongoing filling of the Spirit, we come to know God as Father. In Aramaic, Abba is Father. Imma is Mother. Aramaic terms of just love and endearment that a, a child, a young child, would say to their parents. And Paul is saying that these words are actually a sign of maturity. Yeah, they're the words that an infant would say to their parent, but that's not a sign of immaturity to say them to God. It's actually the more you grow in Christ-likeness, the more you cry out to God saying, Abba, Abba, Father, tenderness. Which is really hard for some of us in the room, right? Some of us in the room have really bad 
There were three examples of fathers. Um, you know, as a kid, I grew up listening to my dad play the song by Harry Chapin, you know, Cats in the Cradle. Remember that song? Great song in 1974. Um, you know, it's a song of this, this kid who wants his dad home, you know, and dad never comes home. Dad was a really bad example. Dad kept putting his kids off and just going to business trips and, you know, ignoring the family. And I was thinking about what it means to be a father, and I was, I was, I was literally typing this sentence, like, on my computer, and my three kids run up to me, and they were like, Dad, 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 we're doing races. Like, who's faster? Like, are you faster or are, are we faster? Like, let's race right now. And I'm like, kids, I need you to tone it down, be quiet, sit over there in the corner. Daddy's finishing his sermon. Just kidding. I didn't do that. I, I stopped what I was doing. I ran with them, and, uh, and I'd like to point out that I'm way faster than my children. Way faster. I beat all of them. I just crushed them. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Anyway, so there are bad examples of fathers in history, but here's the deal. God wants to reclaim that title of father, right? Father now means, as we see the work of God, the sacrifice, self-giving, loving, strong, gracious, merciful. See, the Holy Spirit can show us that we are the beloved children of God. My wife and I had a really scary story that happened to us uh, a number of months ago. We were on vacation, and um, we, we were looking one direction at a pool, and in, in the pool, and our kids were playing this, this game in the water with their nephews and nieces. And their nephews and nieces are like 17, 18, 19, uh, but our kids are so little, so they were doing these fun tricks and stuff. But our little Micah, who's three years old, was sitting with us. But we're watching this game, and all of a sudden we realized that, that Micah had, had sunk to the bottom of the pool. And all of us panic, and my 17-year-old, 18-year-old nephew, Jarrett, uh, jumps into the water, dives down into the, into the water. He was, he was the closest, and he picks up Micah, pulls him up out of the water. And by a miracle, just Micah was okay. And we were just, all of us were just kind of shocked. And as I was thinking about the Spirit and what he does in us, it's this picture of God bringing his arms down in the water and lifting up his children. I wrote this in my journal. Lord, thank you for saving Micah uh, at the pool as he was sinking in the water. Thank you for using Jarrett to lift him up. Thank you for filling his lungs with air. Thank you that he's still with us. Thank you for saving my son. And, and if you could picture, Trinity students, this powerful arms of, of one who dove into the world, he dove into the world. He wraps his powerful arms around you as you are drowning in pain, some of you, drowning in fear, drowning in anxiety with the coming of the new year, drowning in loneliness, in addiction. Some of us have no idea we're drowning, right? We have no idea we're so caught up in our, how awesome we are and our own narcissism. We don't know that that's a form of drowning. But what do we need? We need the Spirit to come and with his powerful arms. Listen to Zephaniah, the prophet. He says this, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He'll take great delight in you. In his love, he'll no longer rebuke you, but rejoice over you with singing. Could you, Trinity students, picture God holding you, rescuing you, and rejoicing over you with singing? Is that the picture you have of God? Is the picture we have of God Jesus reveals to us, his arms are outstretched, nailed, bleeding, giving his life for you out of deep love for you. And so I want to ask, are you open to the work of the Spirit? If you could, just picture the image of a sailboat. This is the final image I'll use here, the image of a sailboat. 
See, the Ruach is blowing, the wind is blowing, the Holy Spirit is blowing, but you have a part to play as you hoist the sail. What does that look like? It's joining community. It's continuing to come in worship. It's walking in obedience. It's developing a life of prayer. It's becoming friends with those in your dorm or somewhere here on campus to grow in our walks with the Lord together. How could you slowly hoist the sail so that the wind of God could hit that sail and so that you could experience freedom and joy and all of the fruit of the Spirit? My time's run out, but I wanna pray. Can I pray? And I believe that's rain. Is that rain? That's a prophetic picture of the Spirit pouring down upon us. So, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you love us. And we think in Romans 5 that your love has been poured out into our hearts through you, the Holy Spirit. And as we listen to that rain, I pray that you would rain down your goodness and your love and your joy and your peace and your patience upon these students. That you would fill us. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill us with your presence. We love you and we trust you. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that this message has challenged, encouraged, and inspired you as we continue learning and growing together in discipleship to Jesus. Every week, you'll find new chapel messages on our channel from local and international speakers ranging in diverse and engaging topics. So go ahead and subscribe for the latest of what's going on in chapel. Much love and happy listening.